Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
Some carriers give you so little for your older busted phone, you just end up living with it? I don't think so. Verizon lets you trade in your broken phone for a shiny new one. You break it, we upgrade it. You dunk it, doggy bone it. <laughs> Slam it, wham it, strawberry jam it. We upgrade it. Get a 5G phone on us with select plans. Every customer, current, new, or business. Because everyone deserves better. And with plans starting at just $35, better cost less than you think. It's Thursday, December 9th, 2021. I'm Reese Colbert sitting in for Roland. And here's what's coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered streaming live on the Black Star Network. Because of the LA Times investigation, hundreds of Southern California criminal cases could be dismissed after more than a dozen police officers exchanged racist and homophobic text messages. Emotional testimony continues today in the manslaughter trial of the former Minnesota cop who killed Dante Wright. The woman riding with Dante Wright tells the jury what happened after Kim Porter shot him. We'll tell you why redistricting is postponing North Carolina's 2022 elections. North Carolina is also shelling out millions for the wrongful conviction of a black man and an improper investigation of a murder in Massachusetts led to the release of another black man almost 30 years later. And Texas passes a critical race theory law that regulates how teachers can teach about slavery and race in the classroom. We'll talk to the founder of the Highland Project, a nonprofit organization working to close the racial wealth gap with black women. Plus, we'll talk to a maternal wellness expert about Black Maternal Health Momnibus Act, which aims to keep women alive during and after giving birth. I'm so excited. We also have a very special guest tonight. You don't want to miss her. I mean them. It's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. Let's go. racist and homophobic texts among officers have led to the dismissal of several cases in California and more could be dismissed. According to the LA Times, current and former officers and recruits of the Torrance Police Department in Los Angeles County traded hateful comments about people of color, particularly black people and Jewish people and members of the LGBTQ community. Here are a few examples. We had to fuck her up. Be because we knew he wouldn't. Don't ask me where that lump on her, for her forehead came from, though. Sometimes you have got to do things your own damn self. Always make Torrance great again. Mm. Savages. Mm. 
Since 2013, the officers identified by the Times have been involved in at least seven severe use of force incidents in Torrance and Long Beach, including three that ended in the deaths of black and Latino men. Jasmine Canick, culture critic, joins me now from Los Angeles. Hey, Jasmine, welcome to the show. Hi, Reese. So can you give us a little bit more insight into what's been happening with these police officers? Do you know why, how they were exposed and how it got to this point to where these cases have been dismissed? So I think first, the first thing to say is people need to understand that Torrance has a notorious reputation. Um, it was um, a sundown town. Um, and so for people who don't know what that means, it meant that if you were black or brown, when the sun went down, you needed to be out of town. And so the police department there, um, for the most part, still kind of operates like that. And, you know, we always hear about the LAPD and the LA Sheriff's Department, but these smaller police departments in cities like Torrance are just as bad. And so what happened was two um, Torrance police officers were uh, accused of painting swastikas on a car that they were told to tow. And in investigating that is what led to the sort of Pandora's box of all of, you know, the other communications and text messages that have been going back and forth between members of that department. Hold up, hold up. Let me hear if I got this right. You said they were yeah. painting swastikas, swastikas on yeah. the cars that they were supposed to be towing? Yes. Okay. Yes. And so those allegations... And it is 2021. <laughs> and they're very bored to be doing that. Okay. And so did they find that those that they were in fact guilty of that or did it just lead to this Pandora's box, as you said, that uncovered these other uh, allegations? So that investigation, I believe, is still ongoing. Uh, I think we can all make a reasonable assumption after hearing about and reading the text messages that have been traded, not only between the two officers involved and allegedly pinning the swastikas, um, but the, the rest of their colleagues that the swastikas were probably painted on the car. Right. So what about these officers? Have they been suspended yet? What is their status on the force at this point? So, you know, I'm not really sure what their status is. Um, you know, I talked a lot on social media yesterday about the importance of identifying officers involved in this type of behavior. If for no other reason than they're being paid for with taxpayer dollars, which is public money, right? Mm -hmm. So you weren't doing mm -hmm. this on your off time at home in your street clothes, you know, maybe in your own personal car. No, you're doing this in a uniform in a car that's paid for by the people you're, you are supposed to be looking out for. Um, so anytime you have this type of behavior and it was done on the public's dime, I am a strong proponent of naming those officers. And this is what we talk about when we talk about changing the culture inside of police departments and sheriff's departments, right? And so I tell people all the time, they, some of them don't like to hear it, but if we keep telling our sons and daughters not to go into law enforcement, these are the people who go into law enforcement. Right. Their sons and daughters go into law enforcement. And so we keep the tradition going on and on. And so as long as that continues and there are no meaningful consequences for this type of behavior. And when I say meaningful, I mean, you lose your pension, you lose your right. job, you can be held criminally liable and civilly liable, right? We know that people really care when you hit them in their, their pocketbook, right? Mm -hmm. As long as that is not the norm, I think we can expect to continue to see this type of behavior because 
unions, between the unions and, um, and the laws that are in place, you know, these types of cops oftentimes get protected. And what we see happen is they will get suspended, they will sue the city for reverse discrimination, and then the taxpayers will end up paying them $100,000. For being exactly. racist. Right, right. Well, do you know of any protests that have happened um, to try to, like you said, uncover who the officers are or to take any action against these particular officers? Well, most of the officers were named in the LA Times report, so there's no, not really a secret there. I think only five weren't named. Okay. Um, but Black Lives, the local chapter of Black Lives Matter here in Los Angeles has been protesting the Torrance Police Department for three years, mm -hmm. ever since the death of um, a young black man in Torrance in 2018. And they, you know, some of the cops involved in this scandal were the cops that were involved in killing him. Right. And so I think um, a lot of, I think his family and a lot of the members of um, our local chapter of BLM feel vindicated, right, uh, in knowing that they weren't off base just in terms of um, the accusations that the officers in Torrance are racist. I think it's really clear that they are. I think a lot more cases are going to be um, thrown out. Uh, I think that um, not only, you know, charges that the local city attorney may bring, may have been bringing, but I think our, our district attorney, George Gaston, his office is going to be dismissing a lot of of charges because these are again officers that go to court and sit before the jury, mm -hmm. you know, and swear to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Right. Uh, and now, you know, we know exactly how they feel, particularly about black people but also um, the LGBTQ community as well. Right, I mean, you mentioned that Black Lives Matter has been protesting, but what has been the response from the LGBTQ community or from the Jewish community since there were text messages found that were disparaging them as well? Have you heard of anything? Well, I'm black and gay, so I mean, we- So you, you matter. Really separate. <laughs> I mean, we don't- always separate but right right you know I, I think again you know i you know for the most part a lot most of these you have to understand most of these um text messages and stuff were about black people the okay. majority of them right okay. and i know that you put a few of them up on your screen those weren't even the worst ones mm -hmm. at all mm -hmm. um there was one for example that had um a christmas tree what was it a christmas tree ornament a candy cane and a star on top of the tree, and an, um, a, an enslaved person. And the question was, which one doesn't belong? And the officer wrote, you don't hang a star. Wow. Right. So, <laughs> you know, and, you know, what I, I always try to remind people is that, you know, when I'm driving in my car, no one knows that I'm a lesbian. Right. But they do know that I'm black. Mm -hmm. They know that. They know that right away. But I think what we're seeing, um, I just want to make it clear, what's happening, what's happened in Torrance, what's going on in Torrance is not just a Torrance issue. We've had this issue in the LAPD. We've had this issue in our sheriff's department. We've had this issue in other police departments. This is a, this is a, a culture thing within inside of our police departments within this country. This is not just a California or a Los Angeles thing. This is something that's been going on a long time ago. I'm sorry, a long time. And I think what most of us are surprised about, not what was said, it's just the fact that something is actually happening, that there's actually an investigation, that there actually may be some repercussions, some discipline, something 
serious where people may actually lose their jobs. I think that's more of the surprise that I have, uh, more than knowing that they that they took, because this isn't new to, to many of us. Like, okay, yes, they, yes. I mean, in some cases, they don't, they talk to us like that. So, right, right. You know, yeah. So, I mean, can you give us any insight into the potential cases that can be dismissed? I mean, what the, what is the criteria? Are they going to be looking at reviewing cases from these particular officers, or is there something else that they're going to be using to determine which cases to review? So, I'm not in the DA's office or the city attorney's office, but I, I have to imagine that these officers are going on the Brady list. I, I mm. have to imagine that every arrest that they made that resulted in criminal charges being filed um, against uh, particularly someone who was black is going to be reexamined. And as we've already seen, um, cases have already been dismissed. And it'll be interesting to see if this also results in people who are maybe um, in jail or in prison um, either, you know, get their sentences reduced or get released altogether uh, due to this. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Jasmine, for joining us and giving us insight into this L.A. Times and Torrance story. We will definitely have you back again with more developments. Thanks, Tracy. Let's bring in the panel. All right, let's bring in the panel. We have joining us, as usual, Dr. Carr, Department of Afro-American Studies of Howard University, and Faraji Muhammad, radio and TV host. Hey guys, thanks for joining us tonight. And you guys like me in this host chair, what y'all think? <laughs> you look fantastic. You are doing the thing. Reese, well, fantastic. Yes. <laughs> right. Reese, you're looking all serious, not even trying to crack a smile. She just looking all serious, like, oh. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm cracking a smile right now. I couldn't go without saying, hey, look at me now. No, no question. <laughs> anyway, anyway, sorry, but let's just get, let's get back serious again. Okay, so let's talk about this story. Um, I'm going to go to you, Dr. Carr, because we always want to hear from you first on this. You know, California is actually supposedly more progressive. They passed legislation to try to make police officers more accountable. Um, what, are you, what is your take just on the text messages that are found and the swastika, for goodness sakes? What in the world is going on in Torrance? Police are doing their job, protect yeah. and serve. I mean, it's a, except not to protect and serve us. You know, it's very interesting. In 1992, after the Rodney King beating, um, a professor at Stanford University, Cuban-Jamaican sister by the name of Sylvia Winter, wrote a long letter called No Humans Involved. Mm -hmm. And uh, she talked about the fact that in the LAPD, when they would respond to calls involving uh, black folk, uh, they would frequently say over the radio, NHI, No Humans Involved. And, and, and she quotes Stephen Jay Gould, uh, the social scientist, who says that, you know, systems of classification direct our thinking and our behavior. So when you label uh, us as falling outside the universe of obligation, in other words, we're not human, uh, whether it be a swastika, whether it be the N-word, whether it be the nooses or the hanging, what you're basically saying is uh, we're not here to protect and serve you. You're not human. There are no humans involved. So, so I encourage, actually, L.A. law enforcement to continue doing what they're doing, because this will finally perhaps wake us up to the fact that policing cannot be reformed. They are doing what they were put in place to do. And I think we, until we understand that reforming 
really isn't the way. I thought about it finally uh, looking at Sister Jasmine there, her bookshelf. She had a book behind her, Daughters of the Dust, by the great filmmaker Julie Dash. Mm -hmm. uh, one of Julie Dash's uh, classmates at UCLA was the great Charles Burdett, the filmmaker Charles Burdett and Holly Garima. They called it the L.A. Rebellion, all those filmmakers. Charles Burdett made a film called The Glass Shield. Remember that? Uh, Ice Cube was in it, playing a, a cop in the, in, in the sheriff's office out there in L.A. Changing the color of the police is not going to change the attitude of the police. This is an attitudinal problem. The police have to be abolished and remade because they are doing what they are supposed to do. I think that's what we have to get through our heads. Hmm. Abolish the police. No Faraji, your response to what Dr. Carr had to say and into the Torrance Department. I mean, this is an absolute tragedy because when you're talking about... Um, you know, hundreds of cases possibly being jeopardized because of some of the, the, the actions of some officers. I mean, I'm thinking about from the victims of those cases, of, the, of those incidents. You know, when we talk about just people letting out people out of prison, I'm thinking about the families that have been impacted, the families of the victims, the families of the perpetrators. I'm, th I'm just thinking about trying to get a better sense of the of the whole thing. And, I'm, and I totally agree with Dr. Carr. This is an attitude problem. This isn't not... We always talk about, oh, it's training. This is, uh, you, you know, they, maybe they didn't know better. These are grown-ass men and women. Mm -hmm. And these are grown-ass white men at, at that. They know better, but they don't care. Because, as Sister Jasmine said, Torrance is a sundown type of town. That's the culture of the town. So if you want to look at how to change the attitude of the police department, you know what we should start doing? Instead of leaving it on the police department and hoping and wishing upon the start that things will change, we should change the attitude on how we deal with one another. And then that way, once we change the attitude on how we see each other in the black and brown community, how we interact with one another, when the police come into the presence, they coming in, we know what they're already, what type of mindset they're in. So we're come, if they come in, if they're called in, it's a, a, on a situation of no other uh, options were available that we had to bring the police in. But just bringing them in, and a lot of these calls, if you look at calls, not just in California, but in Baltimore, wherever you are, calls are being made to the police like, I don't know, like you calling the pizza delivery company. You know what I'm saying? Right, like, people right. are always calling the police in black and brown communities. As much as the crazy part, the irony is, we call the police, even though we know the police will come there, whip our ass, shoot us, do all types of harm to us, we still have a reliance on the police more on them than we do on changing our attitude and behavior within ourselves. Right, Faraji. I mean, some people do use the police as a personal concierge service, but the reality is that we do need the police to do what they're supposed to do, which is um, serve and protect. And that's why people are left with no choice sometimes to call the police. But the good news, at least if there is any good news in the story, is that the families or the people who have been victim to, this, to, to these discriminating police officers will have their cases reviewed. There's some breaking news that I want to bring you all in on. The breaking news that we have is that Jesse Smollett has been convicted, has been found guilty on five mm. counts. Mm. <laughs> so Cal Rittenhouse innocent, Jesse Smollett Damn. guilty. Dang. Mm. Now, Dang. I, I understand, you know, it looked bad for Jesse. It definitely looked bad.
However, it's the standard of proof is supposed to be beyond a reasonable doubt. And I don't know, I lived in Chicago for five years, four years, almost five years, and there were all kinds of murders and shootings that went completely unanswered. And so for me, I just, I just feel a way about this black man being brought before a jury. I feel like it was excessive prosecutorial uh, charges that were brought to him and being convicted in an environment where we have white nationalists running rampant and getting away with murder literally. I'm not saying that Jesse, if he is, you know, he's been convicted, but I'm not saying, you know, you just let black people do whatever, but all I'm saying is it just stings a little bit more when you see a person who has gunned down three people and murdered two of them walk away. Now he's doing his press tour like he's some sort of celebrity and yet a black man who maintains his innocent, by the way, has now been convicted guilty on five counts. Dr. Carr, your reaction to the Jesse Smollett verdict? I mean, I'll say it again, Ed, I'll keep saying it, this isn't a nation. So it happens that the United States of America occupies most of the North American continent, but we're talking about a white nationalist judge and legal system in Kenosha, Wisconsin, a settler colonial bunch of hundred paddle roll of cowboys in Southern California, amped up on a field of violence in terms of uh, the idea of law enforcement. And I agree, we do need some form of public safety. I think policing as a concept can't be fixed. Public safety might be the option. But what we saw, to what we see today in Chicago is perhaps the closest we might get to uh, a question of all human beings being involved in deliberating, applying the uh, law to the facts and letting the chips fall where they may. A black prosecutor, remember Kim Fox, they, ex they expended resources in Chicago. I think the tragedy is that if that had been in the previous story, Southern California, then perhaps Justice Smollett, who ostensibly uh, engaged in this behavior because of fear, as a result of his sexual orientation and having been harassed and threatened, uh, might literally have been uh, uh, a subject of violence at the hands of the police, at least if we take what they were saying out there mm. at their work, and I do at their word, but in, in, in Chicago, uh, whatever his motivation was to, for doing this, if in fact he did indeed do it, uh, it led him to an act of ostensible desperation that has now seen a jury uh, you know, prosecutors, as you say, it may be overreach or maybe we spent money. We could have been spending money trying to deal with these murders or other things, but we spent money on this, so now we're going to get the guy. And so finally, we will now see what the judge does, because while he might get three years, you know, people are saying he might get suspended sentence and public service. So, I mean, perhaps now the verdict will lead to a lesson learned, because hate crimes are a real thing in this country. And we have to be very careful when, you know, if you're desperate like that, bruh, we got to figure out how to surround you, but don't do that, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people obviously um, rallied to Jesse Smollett's defense when the horrific news came out. I mean, national politicians, celebrities, of all course, regular people like us, you know, supported him. I'ma stick beside him. I don't care if guilty or not guilty verdict, I'ma stick beside him. But the reality is, you mentioned Kim Fox, I mean, she she was attacked relentlessly because she did not want to pursue charges. This was not a Kim Fox decision to pursue these charges. In fact, they had actually worked out a deal to where, you know, there were no charges that were gonna be brought, and then they came back and decided to charge him anyway. So I definitely think that, you know, this could have been handled a different way, but they wanted to make an example out of him. Faraji, the jury deliberated for nine hours over two yeah. days, 
as Dr. Carr said, he's potentially facing three years in prison. Does the, the punishment potentially fit the crime that he's been convicted of? This is a hard one. And here's, here's the dilemma that I'm personally feeling in regards to this situation. The dilemma is, you, you know, you see a black man, you don't want to see him go to prison. Right? It's just that simple. You don't want to see a black man prosecuted for some, some, some craziness and some foolishness. But then the other side of the, the story is, he did this. I mean, he, he really did do this. Like, he really did set up a situation where he created this whole hoax. He's hired these brothers and all whole night. He did this. So the, I think the worst part of it, and Dr. Carter, I think this is one of the big points that you were talking about as well as you, Reese. I think the worst part of it is that it's struck on so many levels in terms of the hate crime, him being black, him being gay, uh, you know. And I mean, it's just not something to play with. Even in 2019, when this incident happened, you know, President uh, Trump was still in office. Like, it just wasn't the right time. And I think it was absolutely selfish for him to take the extreme measure that he took to put this, to bring this whole thing together. And then you want public sympathy. And you want the people to rally, rally around you. And, and it's like, bruh, you know, and I may be wrong, Reese, I may, and Dr. Carr, but I read that he did this because he was trying to get a pay raise. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't felt like he, he wasn't being appreciated by Fox and Empire and, and all of that. And it's like that level of selfishness. I, you, you know, you, our people are already dealing with so many things right now. Black uh, members of the LGBTQIA community, black folks in general, we're already dealing with so many things right now. The last thing we need is somebody to take something very, very serious, like a hate crime, and then, and then create a showcase around it. So that way, the next person who has a legitimate crime being committed against them, how do we know that in Chicago, they might not say, oh, this could be a Jesse Smollett situation? Well, How do we, we don't know. That's we don't know. True, but that's, you know, my, it takes, that's the risk that we're taking with this. But we know, as black people in America, it takes an excessive and exorbitant amount of trauma to be paraded on video just to be believed in the first place. And so I don't think that Jesse Smollett's, um, uh, whatever you want to call it, true, his situation, although if he is in fact guilty, he's been convicted, I'm going to stick beside him. He's innocent as far as I'm concerned. But even if he did do it, I will say this, the country has moved on from the January 6th insurrection. And that just happened in 2021. So I think that we can all move on from a 2019 incident that may or may not have been a hoax. But we have to go to a break still to come on Roland Martin Unfiltered. We go back into the courtroom for the trial of Kimberly Potter, the former Minnesota police officer who thought she was firing her taser when she killed Dante Wright. Today, his girlfriend, who was in the car with him, tells the jury what she saw the day a traffic stop went wrong. We'll be right back after the break. This is the Roland Martin Unfiltered Show on the Black Star Network. Stay with us.
Betty is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now, she's free to become Bear Hug Betty. Settle in, kids. You'll be there a while. Ooh, where are you going? I'm Chrisette Michelle. Hi, I'm Chaley Rose, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. October 20th, 2021 was the last time Kiana Macon's family was in contact with her in La Place, Louisiana. The 47-year-old mother is 5 feet 6 inches tall, weighing about 220 pounds, with black hair and a short afro and brown eyes. She sometimes wears wigs. She has a scar on the back of her leg from a motorcycle accident. Kiana was known to drive a blue Ford Mustang. Her car was found in Kiln, Mississippi, about 85 miles east of LaPlace, Louisiana. Anyone with information on Kiana Macon's whereabouts should call St. John the Baptist Parish, Louisiana's Sheriff's Office at 985-359-8763. More compelling testimony today in the Kimberly Potter trial, murder trial. The jury heard from several witnesses, but the most compelling of the day, a firsthand account from the witness who was in the car with Dante Wright at the time of the shooting, Wright's girlfriend, Elena Albrecht Payton. I just remember like hearing like, just like the, the, the boom, the bang of the gun. And then I remember just looking up and seeing like another white car, just, just like, coming directly towards us, like I remember lifting up my head real quick and just booming. I just, I can't, I can't tell if it was before or after, but I just remember like trying to, trying to just get him up. Like I was, I was the only one who had everybody there. I was trying to help him. And I was trying to push on his chest um, and call his name. And he wasn't answering me. He was just um, gasping. Like, just, 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 just take breaths of air. So. And then I just remember being walked out of like a car. As I was driving westbound, um, I was probably a block and a half or away when I observed, uh, I could see the flashing lights of Officer Lucky's squad car. I observed the, a white Buick take off from that traffic stop at a high rate of speed. It crossed the eastbound lane onto the westbound lane, essentially coming directly head on at me, and it collided with a vehicle in front of me, sir. And could you give the cross streets of where you saw that collision take place? Approximately 63rd and Catherine Drive, sir. Was that a startling observation for you at that time? Yes, sir. Um, what did you do when you saw that crash? I immediately got on the radio. I asked, I notified the dispatcher that I had a PI accident or a personal injury accident stemming from a flea from the traffic stop. 
Um, I asked for an ambulance to come immediately to the area. Um, the vehicle, after it hit the car in front of me, the uh, car that it hit went to my left or basically south um, and stopped the car that the Buick basically hit the car and came to a rest on the corner of 63rd and Catherine in the northwest corner. Um, it had heavy front end damage. It was heavily tinted. Um, because it was a, a fleeing vehicle from a traffic stop and it was a felony crime, I took my handgun out and pointed it at the vehicle. I ordered everyone in the vehicle to put their hands up even though I couldn't see. Um, like I thought that I missed them, but and then I was spinning around in the highway, and of course, the bags were all inflated, and my husband was moaning, and I ended up in the eastbound lane, um, and I was surprised that no one was coming to help me. Who was Dante Wright? Was he the one driving the other car? Yes. And he's the one that hit you head on, pretty much, correct? Right. And you asked if he had insurance, correct? Probably. I, have it. I, probably. I don't okay. remember. I have it in a statement. I'm not okay. Sure. Okay. That's all I have. Thank you, ma'am. Okay. Is there a redirect? Really interesting testimony there. Um, Dr. Carr, you know, what you said earlier, no humans involved really um, has, you know, stuck with me through listening through this testimony. A difference with the Dante Wright trial is that he actually has people to testify, like his girlfriend who was in the car and gave that heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching testimony to humanize him. Do you think that that will have any impact on the trial? And what's your reaction to the things that the testimony you just heard? Well, in the North Star state of Minnesota, where the Patarolas run free, um, like the rest of the country, if passed as prelude, it won't have any effect. Because it was only four years ago, we all remember Diamond, Diamond Reynolds. Mm -hmm. Diamond Reynolds, who, with her four-year-old daughter in the back seat, was in the car when the Patarola Geronimo, Geronimo Yanez killed uh, Philando Castillo. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, her, her testimony elicited great tears, too. Hmm. And they let that white boy, uh, that, yeah, Hispanic, uh, that patteroller, again, the color of the patteroller really doesn't matter. But uh, they let that patteroller go, and one of the jury said, well, he's an honest guy. Uh, we went on his word that it was a mistake. After he emptied his clip to the tune, I think it was nine shots hmm. into Philando Castile. So, you know, if passed his prelude, then it isn't going to matter. And, and what we saw there, finally, we see three things at work. We see the law meaning uh, that officer is saying, you know, uh, by the law, I had to draw my weapon because of X, Y, Z. And then you see policy, his training, and the defense of the killer, Kim Potter, is going to be following paint, uh, their policy. And then we see, as you just brought up, the humanity involved. Mm -hmm. Here's this white woman who was harmed by Kim Potter, who shot Dante Wright, which is why the car hit her, and she says, I, I was wondering when anyone was coming to see about me. At that time, the police hadn't even uh, radioed in that this white killer had shot this man. But there's mm. only one human, well, there are actually two humans involved, this lady and her husband. Mm. But ain't nobody else there human. 
So, mm-hmm. no, I don't expect that she'll be convicted if the jury gives her the human benefit of the doubt, also known in the law as the reasonableness standard. What would a reasonable person do? Did she follow her training? What was the law? And, you know, we may be seeing that uh, uh, Kim the killer will walk and join the rest of her potter roller family. Hmm. Ooh. Faraji, your reaction? You know, as much as that emotional testimony, T, was heart-wrenching and, and just like a gut punch, um, you know, I... I'm going to stay optimistic, Reese. I'm, I'm going to say that that this will lead to a situation where we may see a, a conviction from Kim Potter. The only reason is because I fall on the fact that she is a she's been a member of this force for many years, and that the whole taser pulling the taser situation, not knowing where your taser is on your belt that you have worn day in and day out, and then you know, being surprised and, the, uh, oh, I shot him and all of that. I mean, that's just baloney to me. That's just baloney to me. And, and you know, I think they're going to make her an example out of her because this case is so high profile. This case is, you know, is up there with the other cases that we've often talked about. So I think that, that for this, this is, it's, it's not going to be, I think that they're, they're going to have a, a strong case against her because she should have known better. Her judgment should have been better. And more importantly, she should have known where the damn taser was on her belt. Absolutely. Uh, two different perspectives. Dr. Carr, on brand, on par with what we expect. And Faraji, <laughs> a surprising amount of optimism there. But the reality is- I'm gonna is- stay optimistic on this. Well- I wanna believe, Reese. I wanna believe that, that, some, that somewhere justice is gonna prevail. To quote that juror, when Geronimo Yanez killed Philando Castile, He's an honest guy. We went on his word. Hmm. Pay attention to them white tears coming out the face of Kim Potter when she said, I made a mistake. The jury. Watch the jury. Hmm. Hmm. We will stay tuned for this important story. But moving on to the next story. In North Carolina, a jury awards a man $6 million after being wrongfully imprisoned for 23 years. Daryl Howard was convicted of the killing of a mother and daughter in 1991, but new DNA evidence suggested that he wasn't responsible. Howard was released in 2016. In Massachusetts, James Lucian spent 27 years in prison for what the court is calling a wrongful wrongful murder and armed robbery conviction. Lucian was serving a life sentence in connection to the 1994 fatal shooting, but new evidence found the police conducted an improper investigation leading to Lucian's release. (sighs) Dr. Carr, we have this discussion every week. Every week we are talking about black men wrongfully convicted, uh, overzealous prosecutions. What is your reaction to these two stories? Well, I mean, as you always say, Reese, you remind us and we're constantly reminded in this space that we must be involved in organizing and using every tool 
to try to prevent these kind of things. If they hadn't organized and elected a different district attorney in Los Angeles, then we wouldn't see these in, the, this investigation into these convictions in Southern California. And here, in this in this instance, you've got uh, prosecutors who are willing to go in and, and, and re-examine this case. Now, this, these cases, now, in North Carolina, 23 years, in Massachusetts, 27 years, as you say, they gave the man a $6 million settlement in North Carolina. He says that's not enough. Of course, it's not enough. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, we are faced with this problem. The police are invisible. In other words, they have the protection of the benefit of the doubt. So in the Massachusetts case, when the family says, you know, we don't want him to be released because we're seeking justice. Hold on. As the guy said, you shouldn't be mad at this man. You should be mad at the police. But even when the, pol the police aren't making mistakes, there are black women and black men who are in prison, and not just black women and black men, but this is a black show. We're talking about our people first, right. who are incarcerated because the police are hunting. Hmm. They are hmm. not agents of justice. They are not agents of equity or equal justice under the law. They are an armed force that is has one job and one job only to protect those who deserve protection in this society, and we fall outside of that definition. So they do whatever the hell they want to do. And when you and rather than let somebody in jail, this family said, keep him in jail even if he didn't do it. Hmm. That is the assumption that says the real criminals in this, the pattern rollers, the police, even when they, quote unquote, make a mistake, they are still not displaced as the authority. And until we deal with that, then we're just going to keep counting. It's death watch studies at this point. Right, Dr. Carr. Um, Faraji, earlier Jasmine mentioned the Innocence Project, and Dr. Carr just mentioned how prosecutors are the ones who are taking a second look at these cases. We know that the Innocence Project takes on a small fraction of the cases that come their way. Do you think that we should be pushing more? I mean, we talk a lot about um, different criminal justice uh, uh, legislation, but do you think we should be pushing more for prosecutors to take this as part of their portfolio across the country? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Prosecutors, and, and, you know, it's like here in Baltimore, prosecutors are, um, you know, they're voted by the people. And, and you know, we, you know, our prosecutor, Marilyn Mosby, uh, state's attorney, Marilyn Mosby, you know, she's always, I mean, since she got into office, she's been under fire for a lot of different things, right? But the, th the point is, is that they are voted into office by the people. And I think one of the big successes for her, for example, and in, in, in when you're talking about prosecutors, is being able to connect to the people and to, to speak their language and, most importantly, to, to stand on those cases that often we, we don't hear prosecutors about. Prosecutors make a world of difference when you're talking about these police brutality cases, when you're talking about wrongful conviction cases. They make a world of difference. We don't and I look, I, I know we have some enlightened, brilliant, you know, folks that are watch this show. They they tune in, they're checking in on our YouTube and our Facebook page and everything. But they know that faith that that prosecutors they will either you know they will win, they will cre create a situation for us to win or for us to lose. Prosecutors are so powerful. I, I think Dr. Carl, you can agree with me on this. Prosecutors are so powerful. They can set us. They can take us forward in history or set us back. That's how, that's how serious the prosecution is. So when you have groups like the Innocent Project, where they are already organized, they have the infrastructure, they got the network, they got the resources, you know what pushes them over the edge, which gives them the... the they become a tipping point? It's us, the people. Right. 
Right. And when the people are not informed, when the people are not educated, when the people are not in a place to, to see beyond themselves, then we're going to constantly have these problems. We're, the fact that we're having police problems, the fact that we have wrongful conviction problems, is that that's a, that's a reflection of where we see ourselves, that we don't see another black man who is suffering and languishing inside of a jail for 23 years. We don't see him to be important. We don't see a black woman who's pulled over by the police and she's suffering because she don't she can't pay for, you know, qualified uh, defense attorney. We don't see that as important. Again, this goes back to us because I'm personally tired of always expecting the system to change when we have really no power over the system. What we have power over, my grandmother, my mother, my father have always thought, you got power over your own actions. You got power over your own behavior. And at this point, I think we need to shift that paradigm from looking at the system to looking at the people because the system comes out of the mind of men and women. Hmm. Hmm. Powerful words and advice there, Faraji. We have so much more to come on Roland Martin Unfiltered, and there's one surprise that I can't wait to share with you all. But first, redistricting is forcing one state to postpone its 2022 elections, and the fast-track debt ceiling plan is headed to the president's desk. And later, we're taking a look at maternal and infant mortality. Roland Martin Unfiltered will be right back after this break. You're watching the Black Star Network. Alexa, play our favorite song again. Okay. Folks, Black Star Network is here. Hold no punches. I'm real uh, revolutionary right now. Support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. Thank you for being the voice of Black America, Rolling. Hey, I love y'all. All momentum we have now, we have to keep this going. The video looks phenomenal. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be skate. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? Yo, it's your man Dion Cole from Blackish, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Stay woke. The Senate voted to break a filibuster and advance a fast track debt limit plan. To meet the 60 vote minimum, Democrats needed Republican support, and they got it thanks to a deal between Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. The final tally was 64 to 36. 14 Republican senators crossed the aisle to vote with Democrats. The fast-track process plan would allow Senate Democrats to raise the federal debt limit without help from Republicans. The final vote on the plan hasn't been scheduled yet. A federal judge denies the state of Georgia's motion to dismiss a voting rights lawsuit as hundreds of protesters participate in the Across the Nation rally around the U.S. 
Today, civil rights groups and activists demonstrated action in several states, including California, New York, Virginia, and Georgia. Several events featured marches for and, and a funeral for the U.S. democracy in New York. This comes as President Joe Biden hosts his Global Democracy Summit. But organizers say we can't promote democracy abroad if we can't maintain it here in the country. The North Carolina Supreme Court moved state primary elections from March 2022 to May 2022 because of political redistricting map lawsuits. The lawsuits are challenging the congressional and state legislator maps that favor Republicans. After the 2020 census, an additional congressional seat was added. Republicans have an advantage in nine of the 14 seats. The previous map gave Democrats at least five seats. North Carolina has a long history of gerrymandering, and in 2019, a case was heard before the Supreme Court. Let me bring in the panel. Dr. Carr, I'm very interested to hear your take, in particular, about this fast track uh, dead ceiling vote, because essentially what it is, it's a workaround, the all-powerful, all-encompassing you know, filibuster, the Jim Crow filibuster. What is your take on Mitch McConnell striking a deal to raise the debt ceiling with 50 votes, which is essentially a filibuster carve-out? Well, it does no good to be a white nationalist if you don't have a country to be a white nationalist in. And at this moment in world history, uh, with the geopolitics that are playing their way, the right wing rising in, in Europe, particularly places like Poland and France, uh, with the transition of power in Germany, with China continuing to expand, even as it is it's kind of paring back some of its ambition. The last thing the United States must do is run broke on the second week of December. So Mitch McConnell, mm. a good nationalist, uh, understands that this, I think, has less to do with domestic issues than foreign issues. And so kicking this can down the road and the deal that they struck allows two things to happen. Number one, it allows them to get perhaps to the midterm elections in November, where the white nationalist party through redistricting and voter suppression hopes to take the federal legislature. And the other thing it allows to do is to blame the Democrats for the debt, which is why they will be now allowed to do this on their own. Hmm. So there's really no loss in this. I mean, you know, McConnell understands if the country goes broke, you know, two weeks into December, this is not going to play well in terms of the United States continuing shrinking status in the world. Right. Mm. Mm. Right. I mean, that's a great point. I mean, politically speaking, even though the, the Republicans have run up the debt with that Trump tax scam, it's always easier to blame the Democrats for debt because people have the, uh, the notion that Democrats are tax and spend liberals, for instance. Faraji, though, do you think, though, that this does open up the door for further pressure like the, the rallies that we've seen across the country today um, towards the Democrats to actually at least do a filibuster carve out for voting rights legislation? Oh, yeah, no doubt. No doubt at all. And look, let, let's just keep it real, Reese and Dr. Carr. The fact remains that black folks are tired of Democrats. I mean, let's, let's just look at it. If black folks are tired of the, the Democratic Party, if you were to go in, check in into any of our, you know, Facebook, YouTube, and just look at the comments, people are really upset. And, and if we keep playing these games, I mean, look, the, redistrict, the, the redistricting is a major, major tool. Dr. Kai and Risa, y'all both know that when you can determine the boundaries of a given areas, that that shifts the, the, the politics game 
you know, it's just it just puts it out of proportion because one redistricting talks about resources to the particular neighborhoods and communities. It's talking about where money is going or how money is allocated. It's talking about the population. So that gives whoever it's going to be representing those areas more power. I mean, there's a lot at stake at this. So, so if we're playing the game, if the Democrats are trying to play this game while the Republicans are trying to gain power, it's two different pages that both of these parties are working on. And guess what? We're going to be the losers. We are the... When two elephants are rustling and tussling in the jungle, the grass is the one that lose. We're the grass, okay? <laughs> we are losing. And, and guess what? And here's the thing, and, you, and Dr. Carr, you're talking about Mitch McConnell. This is the part of the American history I don't think that those any one of those jokers ever think about, that somebody is going to rise up, that there may be some rebellion and that may that be uh, that's going to emerge because people are at a breaking point in this country. That right. politics is just nothing but a scam. Politics is all about getting your name and getting reelected. Politics. I mean, people are going to say enough and enough. By the time twenty twenty four gets around, I think we're going to see a different electorate. We're going to see dis different di constituents that's going to come out to the polls. It's, it's going to be a different scenario for this country. Even when 2022 around, as much as we talk about the midterms, let's see if people come out to, to actually vote. Because why? The disappointment, dissatisfaction is at such a high level, it's going to bring about a universal change. And if the people are finally saying, I'm not even going to vote, even though I have voted in the past 10 elections or whatever the case may be, people are going to say enough is enough. I'll watch this thing crumble because what, what's the point? If my vote is not going to change my reality, so why should I even invest in putting something in the ballot box? And I and I don't think that's a, a that's a bad place to be in because we got to get through a very authentic and honest place to get to the place of where we can finally get some gains from this political system. Hmm. Ooh, Faraji, okay, you gave a lot to chew on there, so I'm going to try to. Address I'm, just, I'm just thinking. I'm just I'm just talking to my two favorite panelists. That's I, all I, I'm doing I, I know, I know, right? Just I love it. it. I love it. <laughs> But let me let me just I agree with many of the points that you made. I mean, I do think that there is a level of dissatisfaction that's really quite divorced from if you just look at the metrics, right? Unemployment is at a record low. Even black unemployment is down. Even black woman unemployment is down. Um, inflation is high, which is obviously super alarming. But you look at how much more money people are getting if you have kids hundreds of dollars yep. a month per child. And yet the results, the massive infrastructure package that passed, the different stimulus packages, there's a variety of things that have been really positive, but the sentiment is not aligning with the results. And my theory part of that is the way that black people in particular are targeted with disinformation and misinformation. And with, again, trying to tap into that sentiment of dissatisfaction. And so when you look at a lack of progress on voting rights legislation or on criminal justice legislation, I think that's where the sentiment is kind of getting further and further apart from what the results are. And that's why the discussions that we have on Roland Martin Unfiltered and the Black Star Network are so important because we do talk about substantive things in addition to the sentiment aspect of politics as it relates to black people. 
Okay, so I got all that out. <laughs> but um, the reality is that Democrats absolutely have to bring results. And they have to bring results to the black community on things that we care about. And then you have to message their results because if you do it and nobody knows about it, then you ain't really gonna get the benefits from it. Um, and so we have to find a way in 2022 to keep the black electorate engaged because they're not going to be less democratic per se, but they might be less engaged to your point for Raji. So there are a lot of different challenges that we have, but I mean, Dr. Carr, you always say that, you know, this is, this is, you say a variety of things in particular about how we are kind of unraveling as a nation, but do you think that we can afford to check out of the process, even when we aren't so satisfied with the progress on certain issues that we care about? That's, that's, that's a difficult question. Reese, um, my friends who would consider themselves revolutionaries and radicals, and sometimes they don't like, they bristle when I call them cosplay revolutionaries because I don't see them with the strap in the bush yet, um, will certainly have to consider the fact that, as you say, Faraji, if we disengage in this process, then it is going to end up in a very different kind of, of conflict. Um, mm -hmm. As I say, you, you never we, we can never underestimate the stupidity of the American uh, people who live in this country. You can't. Mm -hmm. The disinformation you talk about is absolutely real. It is weaponized ignorance. And what we have is two issues involved. We have intrastate battles and we have interstate battles, federalism. Mm -hmm. The intrastate battles that you talked about today with this North Carolina gerrymander case, I mean, and, and you mentioned the uh, the Ruscio versus Common Cause case in 2019 where the Supreme Court, looking at Wisconsin in particular, says, you know, partisan gerrymandering claims uh, present political questions beyond the reach of the federal court. Well, you know, John Roberts, a, a good white nationalist, now having been joined by several other white nationalists, are more than willing to wreck whatever very fragile federal framework there is on the myth that somehow people are just going to, as you say, Faraji, keep going along with it. And what he has overestimated, Mr. Roberts, with whom I share nothing, <laughs> absolutely nothing except citizenship, which is a political status, not a cultural status, what Mr. Roberts doesn't seem to understand, and he's shown his ass in just about every case involving having to have some sense of what it means to have national identity, whether it be the voting rights case, whether it be adoptive couple versus baby girl, the Native American case, the Indian Child Welfare Act, what John Roberts doesn't understand is this is not a nation. And so the intra-state issue of gerrymandering, that they are willing to say, well, this is political gerrymandering, but it has racial impact. Yes, no, but it's, it's political parties. Okay, look the other way. All you are doing is creating a situation where this country is going to unravel on the interstate issue, the federalism issue. You can't have states' rights within a state and say that California, in a story you're about to cover, can't say, in the state of California, you can terminate a pregnancy. You can't reach into California from Texas and stop them. And what they don't understand is that this country has been on the brink of fracture since it was created. People say, well, it only happened during the Civil War. You better start paying a lot more attention because this is going to be worse than the Civil War. Because this mm. time, there were 
be no federal mechanism to intervene, and there won't be 200,000 black men and all those black women like Harriet Ross Tubman to come save y'all asses, because when it breaks this time, the white nationalists are going to be in charge of the federal legislature. And this time, you're going to have some. You want to get your strap now? In Maryland, in California, in New York State. And I mean, yeah, because guess what? You're going to see war in the streets. This is what you're talking about, Faraji. But people don't think that's real. Just keep on paying attention. So it would probably be better to get in the street and get that right to vote shored up if you don't want the alternative. Because either way, this will be resolved. Well, look, and, and, white folks have all the guns. And so I think we got yeah. a lot of catching up to do on that end. So I say, let's go ahead and stay engaged in this political process, as flawed <laughs> as it may be. And to your point, Dr. Know. Carr, the state level, if you don't care about nothing else, you need to be worried about what's going on on your local and state levels, because right. as the federalism fractures, we are going to be basically governed differently depending on what state that you live in. That's so exactly right. That's very exactly right. Reese, Reese, just real quick, this is why what Brother Cliff Albright and the Black Voters Matters uh, uh, movement is doing is so important. Mm -hmm. It's really, democracy is being held up by black and brown people of this country. I mean, those of us who have the greatest expectation and hopes are the ones that are keeping this, this democratic system, quote unquote, alive and well or at least on its deathbed. Hmm. You know what I mean? We are we are resuscitating, constantly giving air and oxygen and, and blood to a dying system. We are black and brown people. Because why? We never got the, not to talk about the 40 acres and a mule, but we never got a true fulfillment, the true experience of being a whole citizen in this country. So what Brother Cliff is doing and so many others that are on the lines, what they're doing right now is saving America. But white people got to see that. Like, white people got This, if the country, and Dr. Carr, with the, the picture you just, you just painted, the country is going in that direction. And this is, this is not gloom and doom, but this is just facts. Looking at how history has brought us to this point, and most importantly, how our humanity is crying out against oppressive tactics that are that are so engaged that that we run into in this country something has to give yeah something has to yeah. give and 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 we're holding up we're holding up the last few pillars black men and women and brown we just sitting there we holding it hoping like oh no it's not going to fall it's not going to fall but something's going to give this country is in dire straits right now and the only way we can get out of it is if you give the people justice and truth and 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 you 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 use um you humanize us otherwise man we're gonna we're gonna hit that we're gonna hit that we're gonna go to hell in a in a flaming pair of trousers <laughs> yeah uh where did the, where did the optimism go <laughs> Rashi? i mean i'm just saying, i'm optimistic i'm optimistic but you're just telling you us you're just giving us the warning i get it i get it optimism with a little bit of warning I'm, no, no, on no, the I'm side optimistic. i got you but see, guess what? It, it comes down to us as the people yeah we have That's to be realistic we have to be realistic and the reality he told you everything, Reese. Hey, hey, Faraji, what's the shock of the hour? But anyway, anybody know what I'm talking about? You know the shock of the hour, bro. What lot, all of a lot of said it's going to be the shock of the hour, brother. But anyway, let's, 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 let
Okay, okay, okay. We gotta go to a break, but we're gonna end this segment with a little bit of optimism. Okay, okay, a little bit of optimism. All right, so we're we're gonna be right back. Roland Martin filtered on the Black Star Network. Alexa, play our favorite song again. Okay. Maureen is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. Food is her love language. And she really loves her grandson. Like, really loves. Hi, I'm Vivian Green. You're hey everybody, this is your man Fred Hammond, and you're watching Roland Martin, my man, unfiltered. According to the CDC, in 2018, black babies had the highest infant mortality rate among any race, almost three times higher than their white counterparts. Among black babies, there were 10.8 deaths per 1,000 live births, compared to 4.6 white babies per 1,000 live births. When Merlin Martin Unfiltered returns, we'll talk about maternal... Okay, I'm sorry. Um, sorry. All right, and today we're going to actually be talking to Dr. Vernette Kuntz. She is the founder of My Doula is Black, a doula and childbirth education service, and her newest initiative that will launch in 2022, the Perinatal Wellness Institute, a nonprofit organization that provides evidence-based resources, services, and care for the advancement of Black maternal health from preconception to postpartum. Dr. V serves her communities as a perinatal integrative clinician, educator, birth worker, maternal wellness TV host, and childbirth expert for our bodies, ourselves today. Beyond those accolades, she's also a mom of seven, including a surrogate mother of twins. Thank you so much, Dr. Kuntz, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit today because, as you know, Vice President Kamala Harris 
on Tuesday actually hosted a full day. It was called the White House Day of Maternal um, uh, Health Action. And this was the first time it had ever occurred in the White House. And I wanted to talk about it today because black maternal health and maternal health in general is such a topic that does not get nearly enough coverage. And then when you bring in the alarming and just absolutely tragic and devastating uh, statistics around infant mortality, it gets even more dire. Um, part of the legislation and, and the, 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 um, the funding in the Build, Better, Build Back Better Act actually provides funding and grants for doulas and midwives. And so can you just talk to us a little bit about um, how more black women are seeking out doulas and midwives and how that has in fact proven, like in the case of a North Carolina pilot program, to close the racial disparities between black maternal mortality and white women dying in childbirth? Of course, yeah. So as you as you stated earlier, like this is not a new issue um, that we've been dealing with. It's just now being spotlighted, which we're appreciative of, and we're we're gaining funding for those programs to provide uh, education and awareness, uh, birth equity, and resources for doula support. Um, and speaking of the doula support, um, my doula uh, my my doula is black. Um, was started basically just kind of as a as a call to action uh, in my community, which I'm based in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, have a really good relationship with the Atlanta Birth Center, which is a birthing center uh, here in Atlanta, Georgia. And so the, the, the purpose of that, that company, if you will, is to bring uh, childbirth uh, education and uh, preparation for uh, parenthood, not only for mothers, but also for fathers, because as you uh, were able to witness on the, the summit on Tuesday, they had a, a portion of the panelists, uh, which I thought was a, a, a perfect um, preview into uh, how fathers are affected, mm -hmm. um, but providing that type of um, education and resource. Mothers, especially BIPOCs mothers, are reaching out for doula support and hospitals are supportive, whether they're in person uh, or virtual. You know, research shows that a woman is a, a birthing person has a significantly more positive experience and a, a significantly reduced um, risk of birth trauma with doula support. Mm -hmm. um, some other things that uh, Black mothers are doing are, you know, community-based outreach programs on the virtual level, right? So they're being more intentional about finding and, and gaining that community, especially with the pandemic kind of interrupting uh, a huge portion of uh, community support and family support, you know, and it, me being a recently postpartum uh, mother to my fifth child, he's only seven months old and, and being pregnant during a pandemic is scary. You yeah. know, we already show up as black mothers scared to birth in the healthcare system because it's already set up against us, right? Um, whether it's lack of education in the, in the maternal um, mental health setting or lack of uh, resources, um, and so for us, we come in and we come in scared and we want to make sure that that people see us. And, and, and usually we go to people that look like us. They're going to kind of be that first choice, um, you know, and then, you know, going to a, a white ally uh, provider. So, you know, when we're looking at gaining support as a as a black mother, specifically for me as a lived experience and 
and as a as a doula and childbirth educator, we are looking for the opportunity to have someone advocate for us. When mm-hmm. I tell my clients and I and I work with the women in our community that are that are birthing as Black women, I tell them like you need to find a team, build a team that is going to advocate you in the most vulnerable space that you will ever be in, you know? And, and, and so that's, that is creating a culture of not only awareness, but of empowerment when we take that power back and uh, through education and advocacy, you know, we're able to see great things um, and hopefully having the, the rates of the, the, of our community um, decreasing in regards to mortality within the black community. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I actually participated in a um, black maternal mortality or black maternal health week uh, virtual uh, program with Vice President Kamala Harris, then Senator Kamala Harris last year. And she mentioned the exact thing that you just did about empowering yourself and advocating for yourself that how important that is, particularly as a black woman, when we see that the black maternal mortality rate is three times that of our white counterparts. And a large part of, I mean, it's strictly because of race. It's not about lack of health care insurance. It's about race. I mean, a, a college-educated black woman has a higher mortality rate or maternal mortality rate than an, a non-high school um, or than just a high school graduate white woman. So it's not, right. if people just think that this is a socioeconomic issue, it's not. It's a racial issue. But I did want to bring up one point because I hate to talk about internet drama and stupid things that go viral on Twitter. But, you know, uh, a couple weeks ago, there was a video of a doula who was providing um, overnight support for a new mother. I am a new mother as well. I have an eight-month-old, and I'm very fortunate that I have an amazing tribe, my husband, my mother-in-law, my mother, who was there to really provide support for me during that time in our baby. But I feel like the perception um, uh, that people tend to have of postpartum mothers is that they're supposed to be um, uh, uh, just exhausted and they're supposed to be laboring nonstop and only tending to the baby. And people were uh, objecting to the fact that she was getting sleep and that, you know, the doula was actually, you know, feeding her with the bottle and things like that. So can you just talk about, number one, um, the un- unrealistic and um, actually detrimental expectations people have of new mothers, as well as what a doula can do to help alleviate some of that uh, burden that new mothers have to carry? Absolutely. So what uh, people typically see, right, when they when they see a doula is uh, the birth side of a doula, right? She can Mm -hmm. help for that emotional and physical uh, support during labor and birth and then shortly after. But there is a uh, support person um, that provides support in the postpartum phase, right? And so we don't really get to see that in society that's not necessarily shown. And so uh, in addition to that, we expect moms to to just jump back into the groove of things. And that's not always the case, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we're looking at uh, a a postpartum recovery for the mom. And so with a postpartum doula, basically, uh, typically what happens is she'll come in and she can do light housework and she can kind of help with the rhythm of this new baby in, um, you know, earth side, coming earth side. And so when the postpartum doula comes to the house, she can, cook meals, she can, you know, clean, but she can also care to the mom as well. Mm-hmm. So even though that, that, that video that you're referring to is, you know, allowing the mom to sleep, which she needs, right? Sleep deprivation actually is one of the risk factors mm-hmm. for, uh, 
perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, which mm. is a whole nother topic um, that is not talked about. And so uh, for several reasons, but, you know, to stay on topic and to answer the question directly, postpartum support and uh, through, you know, um, a, do- a doula coming to the house can look like bathing the mom, mothering yeah. the mother in the postpartum. And, and, and when you're looking at a season where we're in a pandemic, Everyone doesn't have that community support. Like, I think that it's such a great thing to, to, to highlight the fact that a postpartum doula can come in and create those resources. And also, typically postpartum doulas are educated in different natural herbs that can help to regulate mom's um, hormonal balances because you've had a spike in your, in your hormones to get this baby earth side. And so now your body is trying to, you know, self-regulate its, it, itself um, back to kind of this homeostasis. And so we might need some added support with that. And so I think it's a beautiful thing that uh, this video went viral to at least just show uh, a, a little bit of, of what reality looks like with a postpartum mom. And then um, the second question, uh, can you ask that one more time for me, please? Girl, I forgot, but <laughs> my second question. But you were so spectacular on everything that you said is so important. Um, but you know, the one thing that is so interesting about um about motherhood too is you're a surrogate mom. Can you tell us a little bit oh, about yes. that experience? Because there's so many definitions of motherhood and what makes mm-hmm. you a real mom and this, that, and the other. So can you just lay waste the idea of that, you know, women are not a real mom if they don't carry their own baby or if some people even, you know, have crazy things to say about having in vitro or other, you know, ways of conceiving. Um, what is your thought or birthing parent? Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on that, Kink, that you can share with us? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, like you shared with with everyone, I am a surrogate. I'm a gestational uh, surrogate mother, which means that I carried the embryo. So the egg and the sperm were already connected uh, through science. And then on day five, they um, they did a transfer with me. And so I was able to carry boy girl twins to 39 weeks, which is you know, typically twins are, or multiples are born premature around 34, 35 weeks. And, and these babies just found a home and didn't want to, <laughs> didn't want to come earthside. And, and so, yeah. you know, even though I birthed in the hospital setting, um, in the OR, because it is considered a high risk pregnancy, I was able to, uh, have a provider and my doula and my birth provider all in the room to capture this moment. And I uh, was able to deliver vaginally, um, Baby A uh, was head down and baby B was breached. So my provider gently, you know, brought baby down. And so I wasn't, um, you know, able to be uh, affected in a, in a negative way with having a, a, a breach presentation with baby B. But that experience, to be honest with you, I prepared for it. You know, mm-hmm. I knew I was called early on to be a surrogate and I, I served in that purpose, um, because when I was 16, I had an abortion and I make that very clear because again, that's another taboo topic that we don't talk about. And Mm -hmm. so my attunement was to serve as a surrogate. And so, because I felt like I took life, I wanted to give life twofold. And I was able to do that, uh, in 2018. And so it, it, what it looked like was finding providers that were, um, in alignment with my wishes, you know, doing prenatal, um, physical activity, nutrition was a huge portion of it. Having a doula that supported me wholeheartedly. And, and, you know, at that time I made it clear to everyone that was on my team, my intentions. And so to have, you know, three years 
uh, with these beautiful souls now, um, Earthside, you know, I'm, I'm still very much involved in, in, in even taking it to a, another level. The, the parents actually added me to their birth certificate, even though I don't have parental rights. And, mm-hmm. and so I'm fine. You know, that was part of the conversation. That's not, that's nothing new and, or abnormal, but the beautiful part of this whole journey was that I was able to share my story and share it in such a positive way, because you're right. Real motherhood is this kind of stigma for women who don't naturally birth their own babies. And that's not always the case of motherhood. You have, you know, step parents, you have adoptive parents, you have foster parents, you have surrogate parents, you, you know, you have so many ways of becoming a mother that there's not this linear way um, of, you know, incorporating motherhood in, into your life. And so that journey definitely is one that is, is, more than memorable. And I think it's a testament to um, the ability to have such a positive experience in creating life for another family. Wow. Thank you. That is so amazing that you did that. And I, I was actually curious too, because you said you had a doula. Oh, that was going to be my question, but you answered it. Oh yeah. Uh, Dr. Carr <laughs> actually has a question. Dr. Carr, your question for Dr. Koontz. Yes. I, I just listen to this. And so I, I know several doulas um, and just the amount of respect I have for the, the craft of, of, of doula, particularly as an African person, knowing that this is, you know, I suspect we're getting closer to the way that we did things for a very long time before we so rudely interrupted. So, Sister Cuz, uh, I want to ask you, I was looking at the, uh, the Black Doula's website and I was intrigued by this notion of full spectrum doulas. And I think oh, you yeah. kind of touched on it a little bit when you started talking about, you know, terminating pregnancies, but miscarriage, fertility, sex. I mean, the, the doula uni- conceptual universe, how, how big is it? I mean, when you say full spectrum doula, what does that mean? So full spectrum doula means you uh, work in different arenas, right? So when you talk about women's health, really, we if we want to go all the way back, we are teaching our, our female bodies, our growing bodies, even when we start our menstrual cycles, to hate the symptoms and, and disconnect from menstrual cycles. And to be honest with you, when we bleed, that is creating a natural cleansing environment, a healthy environment for there to be future life. Um, grown in that space. So so to answer your question, full doula spectrum means working with um, maybe a mom that has fertility issues. Maybe she needs to detox first and, and, and gain some nutritional consult um, and uh, other modalities that will help provide a more uh, safe space and less hostile space for her womb. We're living in just this flight or fight um, mentality and lifestyle where we're always go, go, go. And so when you, when you're working with, with women that are trying to get pregnant, sometimes they don't know the tools that will help their, their womb to be a more safe space. So you're looking at uh, fertility, um, doula, you're looking at a sex doula. So, uh, that's not only just the physical act of sex, but you're looking at intimacy and how that connects to your mind and your body. You have grievance doulas where you're looking at, uh, loss, right? Mm -hmm. So loss either within your womb or there's several women that don't even talk about having miscarriages. Mm -hmm. How many lives have been lost within your womb and how, how are you carrying that in your womb? Right. And then we go into birth doula and postpartum doula, right? So the birth doula is typically like the flashing lights, Mm -hmm. but that's the full spectrum. You're looking at fertility and sex doula and and a bereavement doula or grief and loss doula, birth doula, and uh, finally postpartum doula. So you got a lot to work with. 
Thank you, Reese, and thanks, Doc. Respect. <laughs> Thank you. Dr. Koontz, wow, um, that is amazing. I'd never heard of, of a bereavement doula, and so many women struggle in private um, right. with miscarriages, and um, just to know that that kind of uh, resource is there is so important. We only talk about motherhood and birthing um, just as, like, as though women are mules who just are there to carry babies, and we don't talk about the full spectrum of the emotional um, aspects of trying to conceive and having a baby and then the postpartum aspect. Faraji, though, has a question. Faraji, your question for Dr. Koontz. Yes. Uh, Dr. Koontz, thank you so much for joining us. First and foremost, as a, just a, a man, I'm just shutting up and I'm just listening, you know? I mean, just enjoying. <laughs> I'm just going to listen, you know what I mean? Um, so I really appreciate you breaking it down for us so we can all understand. And I know many of our watchers are just thinking this is a great opportunity and segment. But I do have a question in regards to maternal health, because we do know that Black women are oftentimes given so many uh, wrong diagnoses when they get into the doctor's office, right, when they are pregnant. And a lot of times, you know, depending on the woman, um, she might believe it or she might go and, and seek a second or third opinion about you know, any levels of complications during that great period. I'm wondering how much of that has played a role in the infant, infant mortality conversation. Uh, is there a, a, a way that Black women and, and, and Latina sisters, can they get better care from doctors? Can they get better advice from doctors to make sure that they are, you know, going through the great... Uh, process of being uh, pregnant properly instead of getting all of these wrong answers, which is going to create, you know, stress, confusion, pain and hurt and all of those things. I'm wondering about how much, what can be done about the doctor's advice when they cannot properly diagnose a black woman's pregnancy? Yeah, sure. No, I think that's a great question. So, um, I have a, a couple theories, right? So what I tell, um, you know, my communities is to, it's the, the importance of building your birth team, right? So it's not just your provider, your partner and your doula. Maybe that looks like a, a dietitian that specializes in prenatal care. Maybe that looks like a prenatal, um, you know, fitness provider. Um, you have pelvic floor specialists. So, you know, those who have, um, pelvic floor dis uh, dysfunction, they can, they can go to that type of provider. Um, there's chiropractic care as well. And then also that second opinion, right? So you're having a different vantage point from different, uh, specialties that are on your team, right? So I think that having a, um, a diversified birthing team on your on your side and discussing right it's kind of that co-management mm -hmm. mentality you can get different perspectives and not just that one linear um, opinion the, the the other thing that I would that would kind of throw in the ring is that you know it at times it can be challenging you know from a, a clinical standpoint when you're looking at diagnosing a patient a lot comes in that some people don't present uh, the way that it's textbook uh, presented, you know, in school. And so um, I'm glad that you asked that question because there was a Nigerian artist that kind of went viral um, when he posted on his social media page an uh, illustration of an um, anatomical black woman carrying a, a black baby. And so, you know, it's been reposted thousands and thousands of times. But the, the reason why is because we don't see black illustrations 
in medical books. Mm -hmm. And so if we don't have black representation on the educational side, how can we really expect our providers, black or, or white or otherwise, to really be able to see how we as black women present differently than our white counterparts? And so if we're looking mm. at the bird's eye view, it's not just the doctor's fault. And I say that when I work with clients, I'm like, I, I, I want to say, right, that your doctor has your best interest at heart. We take an oath when we gain our degree and our board certification that we are, we, the first thing in the oath uh, is to do no harm, right? Now, it's fair to say that not everybody is on the same page and there's implicit bias and there's racial disparities. And yes, that is the truth. But also in that truth, on the educational side, all through my clinical education, I rarely, if ever, saw any Black illustration. So you're talking about the presentation of a Black body looking very different than their white counterparts. Sometimes it can be part of the conversation of why there is that misdiagnosis. So it's not always um, a straightforward diagnosis when you're looking at um, reproductive uh, health and, and women health and obstetrics health. And then the other thing that I do want to mention is that when uh, a black birthing body is going for a second and a third opinion, you know, they should be um, taking notes and they should be gaining their medical records. So that way, uh, and they have patient rights uh, to gain their medical records. So that way everything can be streamlined because when, when, when mothers or patients in general jump around to different providers and they don't carry their medical records with them, they are at a higher risk of, of, of being misdiagnosed, right? So it's a comprehensive uh, thought process when you're looking at misdiagnosis and, and also having a team that's going to help you create an environment that's going to be in the best interest of mom and baby to reduce maternal mortality mm -hmm. rates and therefore infant mortality rates. Mm -hmm. Dr. Cook. Long answer. <laughs> no, but it was, it was complicated. A, it was a very comprehensive and insightful answer that we need to hear, um, particularly, you know, the black audience. We need to hear more from people like you. So, Dr. Coons, please tell the Rolla Martin Unfiltered family how to get in contact with you if they're interested to hear more about My Doula is Black and your other initiatives. Yeah, absolutely. So they can follow me on Instagram at uh, Dr. Burnett. I also have uh, My Doula is Black on Instagram, but uh, the main source of information is uh, on my website at drvernet.com. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Kuntz. Thank you for having me. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, a nonprofit organization is making strides to close the wealth gap of black women. The founder of the Highland Project will be here to tell us how they're helping black women advance. But first, the state of Texas is at it again. They have passed a law restricting how educators can teach about slavery. We'll be back after this break. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. We'll be right back. Alexa, play our favorite song again. Okay. I only Folks, Black Star Network is here. Oh, no! 
punches. I'm real uh, revolutionary right now. Support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. Uh, thank you for being the voice of Black America, Roland. Hey, Black, I love y'all. All momentum we have now. We have to keep this going. The video looks phenomenal. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? Maureen is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. Food is her love language. And she really loves her grandson. Like, really loves. Hello, everyone. I'm Godfrey, and you're watching... Roland Martin Unfiltered. And while he's doing Unfiltered, I'm practicing the wobble. Black women entrepreneurs are the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs in America, yet black women hold more than 90% less wealth than white men. In 2019, black women were paid 63% of what non-Hispanic white men earned. That means it would take the typical black woman 19 months to be paid what the average white man makes in 12 months. The Highland Project is a nonprofit organization that wants to change that by working to close the racial wealth gap with black women. Highland Project founder Gabrielle Wyatt is here to tell us how. Welcome, Gabrielle. How are you doing today? Good evening. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Highland Project? Sure. The Highland Project is focused on building and sustaining a pipeline of Black women leaders across education, economic empowerment, well-being, and political agency who are creating sustainable change in their communities, resulting in multi-generational wealth. We focus on a holistic definition of wealth because we know that wealth is beyond dollars and pocket, mm -hmm. but our ability to access great schools, great food for our lives to be protected and thriving. And so we're cultivating a movement that's a coalition of women across sectors. We provide them with sisterhood, a focus on well-being, building political power. Um, and we pair that with $100,000 in genius awards for each woman to scale her vision. Wow, that's pretty spectacular. I noticed on the website you talk about uh, black political power. Like, for instance, there are no black women in the Senate. We talked a little bit earlier about uh, the, the engagement that we need to have for the 2022 midterms. Um, a lot of people are already announcing their campaigns, Stacey Abrams, for instance, in Georgia. Um, so what level of engagement are you having with potentially recruiting, or do you get involved in the recruiting aspect for black women who are looking to run for office? Sure. We are a 501c3 nonprofit, so we engage in advocacy. Mm -hmm. um, we engage in ensuring that we can help to sustain women who are engaging politically, not just in a traditional electoral sense, but also in terms of how are they investing their time and showing up at the polls in writing op-eds and more. I'm proud to say that last Tuesday we announced our first cohort, um, and we have several women who are engaged in advocacy and politics. Um, we have Miss Latasha Brown out of Georgia, who we all know has been an incredible uh, champion for the mm -hmm. protection of voter rights in our communities and our voices, quite frankly, as black women. We have Leslie Harrod, who is a representative out of Colorado, who 
was the first openly gay representative in the state house. Uh, Mary Pat Hefter out of Georgia, who um, is just an inspiration. She's been organizing in her communities from quite a young age. She ran for office previously um, in Atlanta and continues to organize youth um, in her community. And so we really, I share that with you because we take a holistic look at what does our political power mean? Yes, it's important to get us into office. Yes, it's important to make sure that there's a bench of us coming up from behind, right? I look at the stats that 0% of us are governors, mm -hmm. that we have zero U.S. senators. And so we're focused on numbers, but we're also focused on what are the other aspects that influence change. And so that is that Mary Pat Hector who's organizing youth, the youth of tomorrow. It is leaders who are focused on how do they use their seat in corporate to take stands that nonprofit leaders may not be able to. Absolutely. So can you explain a little bit more about what the cohort itself does? Sure. So they meet together um, over the course of one year um, to first center their own well-being. As I think about ways in which we've tried to increase Black women in seats of power, um, they've been impactful. And yet, I keep going back to the fact that we have 0% of U.S. senators, that we continue to see Black women who sit in C-suite roles leaving their sectors, burning out. And so we have an unapologetic focus on what does it mean to protect ourselves, our mm -hmm. own well-being, so that we can continue to sit in seats of power and not leave the very impactful work that we're leading. So we focus on that when they're together. We focus on how are they building their legacies, not only in their current seat, but outside of that seat. How are they building up the generations coming up behind them uh, and the ones that have come before them, how are they listening um, to enact change? We then pair that with $100,000 in capital. Um, and so when leaders are together, they're discussing how they might use that capital, whether whether or not they might pool those resources together and more. Yeah, $100,000 is, is, to me, at least to me, it sounds huge because, you know, black women are very typically underfunded, whether it comes to political campaigns or even nonprofits. You know, black women nonprofits are not as well funded as other ones, even when we have these racial reckonings like we did last summer. And so can you just explain, for instance, what kind of activities somebody could use with the, a little bit more detail with that $100,000 that's granted? What are the strings, sure. essentially, are what I'm asking you? What are the strings <laughs> attached? Yes. Yes. I mean, the first thing I'll just say, though, is like the amount of dollars that we have not seen moved mm. since 2020 is egregious. Mm -hmm. So in 2017, we saw that 1% of dollars were going to women and girls of color. We've only seen the needle move since the 2020 racial reckoning by at least a little bit of a 1%. It's less than 2% of dollars still are going to women and girls of color, mm -hmm. despite the calls we saw we, last year. And so mm -hmm. you're right that 100K is a lot. We're hoping to move the needle in that. Um, the strings are attached is that you do incredible work in your communities. So mm -hmm. this is trusting capital. I like to think about us as the MacArthur Genius Award for Black women. I ask myself, what if we gave more trusting capital to leaders like Nicole Hannah-Jones, who received a MacArthur Genius Award, right, mm -hmm. and is continuing to pathblaze in our community. Um, so we ask that women, as they look at this $100,000, that they do not use it to plug gaps in their operating budgets, but they use it in transformative ways to embed change and, again, to sustain themselves. So I suspect what you'll see leaders doing um, is asking what, what additional um, initiative or capital 
um, or power needs to exist in my community so that my efforts to date can really be sustainable? And what are things that I might want to pilot or test or frankly fail at? Because we know we can learn from failure. And yet as black women, we're never given the capital to experiment, uh, to try new things. And so I think that's what you'll see coming out. You're absolutely right about that. I mean, white men fell up all the time, but with black people, they <laughs> want to right. see their return on investment. And sometimes that return on investment is, like you said, experimenting and getting the latitude to try things that haven't been done before. So, Gabrielle, can you tell the viewers how to get in contact with the Highland Project or what they can do if they want to support? Sure. Um, I would not be a nonprofit uh, founder if I didn't say support us by investing directly in our vision. If you invest in us, your dollars go right into our $100,000 Genius Award. So you're investing in the legacy um, of the women who we partner with. So you can join us. You can invest by following us at Lead Highland on Twitter and Instagram. You can donate to us on our website, which is thehighlandproject.org. You're also able to uh, name, give us your contact information so that we can figure out other ways to get you uh, involved in our work. Thank you, Gabrielle, and the Highland Project for investing in Black women and tackling this very important cause. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. We'll be right back. Olimar and Unfiltered after the break. Thank you. Take care. Happy holidays. Okay, where are we going now? Alexa, play our favorite song again. Okay. Hey, yo, Peace World, what's going on? It's the Love King of R&B, Raheem Devon, and you're watching Roland Martin, Unfiltered. Texas passed a new restrictive law banning critical race theory from K-12 classrooms. This new law says a teacher may not be compelled to discuss a widely debated and currently controversial public policy or social affairs issue. If a controversial topic is discussed, the teacher must explore that topic objectively and free from political bias. Eight other states have banned critical race theory or topics surrounding race and gender from the classrooms. 
A family in Oklahoma wants a judge removed from the bench. Judge Susan Worthington gave an alleged murderer a $500,000 bond, and he's out of jail. Joseph Daniel Triplett is charged with first-degree murder and desecration of a human corpse after he allegedly killed his employee, Brent Mack, and buried him under a septic tank. Triplett has since bonded out and awaits trial. In Oklahoma, any crime is eligible for bond, and a judge considers the suspect's prior history and risk to the community when assessing each case. However, the other murder suspects on Judge Worthington's caseload remain in jail because she did not give them bond. Dr. Carr, mm. desecration of a body? Lord Jesus, and she let him out, or she or he let him out of the jail. And then we have to talk about critical race theory. Your reaction to those two stories? Well, I'll do the second one first. I, I, I really, um, I'm very happy to see these critical race theory laws being passed. See, again, <laughs> what these people understand, <laughs> I am, I really am, because if I just go something you said earlier, brother, um, they're going to break it. Hmm. They're going to break it. First of all, you can't enforce those critical race theory laws. Second of all, this is this, this how dumb these white people are. If you say that you can't teach that one race is superior to another race, if you say you can't put, uh, you can't have one point without the other point, and you saw what happened in Texas, they had they 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 tied themselves into a frenzy where somebody had to end up counterpointing the Holocaust. But mm. yeah, then you do realize, of course, that the one group in this country that has uh, weaponized uh, race has been white people. Mm. So actually, to enforce the critical race theory laws would require you, in fact, to interrogate whiteness. That's how stupid they are. Mm. But I, I'm enjoying it. But on the first one, no, of course, that, that's just simple. NHI, there are no humans involved. Mm. Wasn't that a black dude? So I don't even know if that counts as I guess it would count as the body a body in the same way that perhaps putting a dog under the septic tank would qualify as a body. But uh, there's no humans involved, so this judge had no problem giving him bail. He was, you know, uh, as Doobie Brother said, "You don't know me, but I'm your brother." Mm. <laughs> that's, that's basically what he told this white man. Mm. You don't know me, but your brother. Mm. You didn't. You didn't. It's not like you killed a human. So mm. you know, go out on bail, and we're worried about getting you exonerated at trial a little bit later on down the road. Merry Christmas. And Faraji, isn't it amazing how these white nationalists managed to raise $500,000, Kyle Rittenhouse $1 million, and yet you have black people across the country who can't even get out on bail. Kaylee Broder was held um, in prison for years. Sandra Bland died in, in jail because of bond or bail. Uh, what is your reaction to this? I mean, I think it's very simple. We we have been pushing this um, this idea for quite some time, ever since I've been a part of the show. The reason that we see white nationalists do it is because of one simple principle. They know how to organize. Mm. They have... They, I mean, it's just that simple. They know how to organize. They are white nationalist communities mm. that exist in this country. I'm, both of you know that, you know what yeah. I mean? Whether you're talking about the hills of Montana or some other part of the country, white nationalist neighborhoods, white nationalist communities, they have white nationalist stores, they have schools and the whole nine. So mm. they have organized, they have used their critical thinking skills and say, okay, we are not, we're gonna disconnect ourselves from this uh, governmental structure and we're gonna create our own government. Mm. And so 
you know, we do have to look at that and say, okay, is that something that black people need to do at this point? You know, and I think when you were talking about the whole piece around critical race theory, look, look, let me let me just break it down very simply. If this country deny its role in the transatlantic slave trade, if this country denies the history of its own origin, guess who's going to reap the consequences of that denial? Hmm. This country. Leadership. Exactly. <laughs> state leaders. Hmm. They're going to reap this. Now, now, look, let me just tell you, and Dr. Carr, I think you can attest to this. If you don't teach a people, whether you're talking about white or black, if you don't teach people real history, and, they, and, and you teach children, let's look at the babies, you teach children this very filtered, uh, whitewashed, sanitized view of history that speaks to the, 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 the noble uh, attempts of the slave master to free and to rescue the black savages of Africa. If you teach mm. white babies that, and then you think you're going to bring them up. Now, look at this. You're teaching that, while at the same time, the country is becoming more diverse, the same time black people are becoming more aware, That's you right. are setting your people up for failure. They're going to run up against the wall of time and, up, <laughs> and run up against the wall of change, and they're going to get their back broke. So you can play around and act like, oh, no, if we don't teach it, it therefore it doesn't exist. When those white students leave, what do you think they're going to see when they go out into the world? Their minds are not going to be able to handle it. They're going to be like a cow written house, or they're going to be like uh, the, uh, the, the, that devil that killed our people down in South Carolina in the church. I mean, they're going to, you are setting your people up for disaster because truth frees the mind. When you lie to people, you create an imbalance in people's heads about themselves and about the world around them. Watch. This thing is going, like Dr. Carl, you said it, it's going to backfire. Trust and believe. It's going to backfire. And it's not going to backfire on black people because we already been denied. We already know our history has been hidden and kept from us. White people are going to feel this one. They're going to feel this one. Yeah. Well, make no mistake about it, these CRT laws, which is a pretext really for uh, entrenching white nationalism into the curriculum, are not actually changing CRT because it was never taught at K through 12. But I think what's <laughs> important is that we know, particularly black people, as you point out, Faraj, you know that the onus is going to be on us that much more to make sure that our history is taught and we cannot leave it up to the school system to do that. Definitely. After the break... I have a special surprise for you. I've been teasing it all night. The Roland Martin Unfiltered family is going to want to see this right after the break on the Black Star Network. Betty is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now she's free to become Bear Hug Betty. Settle in, kids. You'll be there a while. Ooh, where are you going? Y'all know who Roland Martin is. He got the ascot on, he do the news. It's fancy news. Keep it rolling. Right here. Rolling. Rolling Martin. <laughs> right now. You are watching Roland Martin, unfiltered. I mean, could it be any other way? Really? It's Roland Martin. All right, y'all. 
Let me give you a spoiler alert. It's not Vice President Kamala Harris. I ain't got that kind of pool to have Vice President Kamala Harris on the Roller Martin Unfiltered show. This short of notice, maybe sometime in the future, but it is one of my favorite people and one of your favorite people. I could give a long, drawn-out explanation, but without further ado, welcome back for the first time to the Roland Martin Unfiltered Show on the Black Star Network, Erica Savage Wilson. Hey, girl! <laughs> hey, boo! Hey, Reese. You? Hey, G. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna give the panel the time to say, hey, go ahead, go ahead, everybody. Get it out, get it out, get it out. <laughs> that was mwah, chef's kiss. That was so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> e, what's oh. up? What's going on, G? Hi, Faraj. I haven't met you, but I've been watching you get to see you. I'm just glad to be here. And to the RMU production team, I love you all. You all have no idea how awesome that production crew is. The folks that work behind the scenes. They're also in front of the scenes as well. They are absolutely amazing. So much love to the RMU production crew and to our big brother, Roland. Yes, Roland. The only thing missing is Roland. I'm sorry, Roland, if I stole your thunder, but I was like, I can't be on the Roland Martin Unfiltered show and be in this host care <laughs> without checking in with my sis, my girl, Erica. Erica, you look as beautiful, as amazing. I want you to tell the audience about what you're up to now. You've been producing our publishing uh, medium pieces as well as back in the swing of things with some IG Lives and some newsletters. So please let the audience know what you're up to. Thank you so much, Reese. And y'all, first of all, y'all, please light up social media with how awesome Reese has done it in the guest chair. It's been great all week. But of course, I'm always partial to the Thursday VIP panel, as we dubbed it almost two years ago. Yes. Always, always partial. So please light up social media, letting everybody, the whole world know how awesome <laughs> our good sis, Reese Colbert, Black Women Views, is a follow you must have. Um... I am, y'all, I'm healing. Hmm. Um, that is probably one of the best ways that I can put it. And my healing is coming through um, really just enjoying um, being outside of the other side of what I was engaged in, which was pretty much work 24-7. Uh, what I have been up to as of late is um, definitely a bunch of appointments still, um, but doing, as Reese noted, writings. I'm working on a piece now um, that I'm going to be sending out, hoping that it will be pitched. So uh, USA Today, Blabity, all of y'all look up. I'm going to be sending this piece to you all. Mm -hmm. um, also, I definitely, um, as Reese said, I did one Facebook and IG Live just last month to let everyone know that uh, I'm, you know, healing. I'm still here, but I'm taking that very, very seriously. And um, as a result of that, uh, one of my um, favorite people, my mentor, Dr. Avis Jones, the Weaver, who kicked off this week hosting um, in that very seat that Reese is occupying so wonderfully, um, has really um, folded me in. And I will be launching a podcast, another podcast, Wonderful. January of 2022. This will be focused on what I'm working um, and what I've been really moving through my healing, which is the reframed brain. That is going to be the name of the podcast, the reframed mm -hmm. brain. And what I have learned through this brain injury and through a myriad of other injuries that I've endured is that the thing that we are all connected by is this 
global pandemic trauma, mm. that we are not mm. to take lightly what we have been experiencing this pandemic, not just COVID-19 in and of itself, but the anxiety, the um, insomnia, mm. uh, the stressors, the worry. Um, Reese talked about having a baby mm. during the pandemic and the um, joy that she would have with having that room filled with friends and families of well wishes that was um, significantly reduced to um, her, her husband and her mother-in-law and her mother. Um, mm. There has been a real social impact that we are going to be um, experiencing here this next uh, wave in 2022 and beyond. And so no one has to have a brain injury to understand that brain health is so very important. And so the mm. Reframe Brain is really gonna be bringing to the audience not just letting you know that I'm a brain injury champion, but how we are all very much so included and connected by um, the trauma that we have experienced through this pandemic. And I want for people to be able to live a more intentional life, understanding that there's some things that you just don't have to endure. Mm. Ooh, preaching. Mm. This is why we love you so much, Erica, the reframed <laughs> brain. I love that. You know, in, yes. your, in your medium piece, you talked about the new Erica. We love the new Erica, the old Erica. <laughs> but for people who want to know, like, what's different now, you've, like you said, you're healing. And that's a process. That's an iterative process. It's not a straight line. Uh, give people a little bit of insight into parts of what you can share of the new Erica. Sure. I really appreciate the question. Um, it is definitely ongoing. I... Um, and this is not a downer, this is just very re real. Um, the unseen part of what I'm experiencing is that people see me and they see Erica. Mm -hmm. What um, everyone is not seeing is um, the heavy lift that it takes for me to move throughout the day. Um, I have a wonderful, wonderful medical care team, um, home health care, um, occupational therapy, a myriad of, of team members um, within the medical community that help me. But I've been very honest and very frank about um, the uh, neuropsychologist, my psychiatrist, and my therapy, uh, my therapist that I, I meet with um, throughout on a weekly basis. That the mental warfare, um, because I don't have the capabilities that I used to. For instance, every day for at least two and a half hours, my body shuts down mm. because my brain has to breathe. Um, me being on social media, the way that I've been able to come back into social media, I'm not able to really participate in the way that I was before because I have light sensitivity. The scrolling activity is um, difficult on the brain. It's not good on any of our brains, but particularly when the brain has been compromised by an injury, um, like the one that I sustained being hit by an 18-wheeler twice while traveling mm. for work. So it wasn't just I was, you know, traveling. I was traveling for work when this at the time that the accident occurred. Um, what people also don't see is that it takes me longer to process. So I love Roland Martin and Filter. I love political news, just like all of these panelists. It's a heavy investment to um, actually um, present the information that the audience receives, whether it's in two hours, whether it's a segment that's six or seven minutes. What um, Reese, what Farage, what um, Dr. Carr, what they are listening to all day long it's not just political news, it's social coverage, it's via the radio, they're looking at things. So there's constant consummation of this. And then to be able to um, break down that minutia into bites where the audience can receive it outside of having a personal life, that is a lot. Mm -hmm. 
Y'all, I do not have that capacity right now. Mm. And it is liberating to be able to say that because that is where I am right now. I can remember, and I still face this, um, uh, my doctor cleared me to begin to drive again. So I drive locally pretty much. Mm -hmm. And I uh, can remember breaking down crying and having to call um, my partner and tell him, I'm like, I'm lost. Mm. I'm literally going less than a mile up the road and I am lost. So it's things like that. The setting that I have to do um, when I go to an appointment. And also, I'm so glad, Reese, you had um, Dr. Coots on and you all had that um, great discussion around Black maternal health. Mm -hmm. When you think about what the expectation is for a woman, for a person, after they have given birth, after they have gone through a traumatic process, which birth is, it's not that easy. There is that whole snapback term, which I greatly mm. despise. There is that. no snapback. I hate it too, sis. Mm. There is no snapping back. There is a hold adjustment because something is died, just like the way that mm. we were in 2019 is no longer. That is the former. This is the new. How do I make that adjustment, mind, body, and spirit? And so for Erica, these AirPods that I have, in, mm -hmm. this is my number one safety dynamic. If I do engage in the public, I have these on, right? Mm. Because it keeps me safe. Mm. Um, I know that people aren't going to run up to me because I can't handle a bunch of humans at one time, no more than about three or four mm. at one time. And then I'm also very aware of where I am, the exit, how long I'm going to be there, and then what my next stop, which is usually home. So there is a lot of rerouting that has happened. Um, the capacity to... Um, do laundry and things like that. I celebrate it because I'm able to do those things, but it's very, very concentrated and very strategic the way that I do that. So what people don't see with unseen injuries is the mental and then the emotional preparation. I'm a big holiday person. Mm -hmm. Everybody who knows me knows that I love Thanksgiving and Christmas. I literally had a mental crisis breaking things breaking things because it was just me and my partner at home. Mm -hmm. I couldn't tolerate being around my family because I still can't tolerate traveling outside of about a 10, 15 mile radius. Those are the type of limitations that I am accepting in my present, understanding that things will improve in my future, but I have to accept it now because that's just where your girl is at. And it does not mean that I was not born and created to fly. Mm -hmm. I've done it. I'm going to do it in a much higher and different way. However, at the moment, with a brain injury, um, PTSD, anxiety, depression, um, and insomnia, which is mad crazy, mm. I have, with my plants and with my family support and support of my, my good sis, Reese, and just so many people who have really, um, um, really just kind of um, held me up, um, I have been able to manage. And I also want to mention as well, I talked about in my medium piece, the suicide attempt. Mm -hmm. It's very real. It happens to black folks. It happened to black people that believe in Jesus. It does not mean you're not a believer. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that you're a person of faith. It means that your response to literally grieving your own death, or as I talked about with the pandemic, grieving what we were before, and where we are now and the constant reminders about social distancing and wearing masks and the anxiety that we feel about going outside into different areas or those that are having to return to in-office um, settings is real. 
And yeah. so the thoughts, those things that we can ideate on that say, this is it no longer, it's very, very real. Having support that literally says, I'm making space for you to grieve what was, what is to come, what is now, is very, very important. And it does not mean um, that uh, we are um, somehow um, uh, n- not normal, as people would say. I don't mm-hmm. even know what that means now. Mm-hmm. But it does mean that we are human and that there's another well of empathy that we must introduce into our own personal lives. Wow. Uh, Erica, you are extraordinary. And sharing that, I want people to just, I just thank you so much for that transparency because we have to expand the expectations that we put on black women. Black women need to heal, whether it's from a traumatic brain injury as what you're doing with people are, uh, black women, men, people across the world are really suffering in this pandemic for a lot of reasons. And so your story and this Reframed Brain podcast that you are going to be doing is going to be just a blessing to so many people. I want to be respectful of your time, but I know that I cannot end this segment without going to our big bro, Dr. Carr. Dr. Carr, uh, I want to hand the mic over to you uh, to talk to Erica for a moment. I need to clear my throat because what we just witnessed, first of all, Reese, thank you. This is, uh, if Ron was sitting there, he probably would have had that picture. He probably got that picture that dude somewhere around here. Oh, God, here. no, no, did I? <laughs> I'm saying, if sitting, you, know, you know what he would have done, Erica. But, <laughs> but no, thank you, Reese. Erica, I'm so glad to see you. I love you. And love what you, you just did, oh, my God, what you just did for, for all of us, for me, for everybody watching, for everybody who will watch, I just want to say to you, thank you, not only for your witness, your strength, your, uh, you say, you know, you, you're, you're working and sailing in a different way and soaring in a different way. And for those of us who have experienced you and will continue to love and experience you and surround you, I just want to say thank you, because that was more than a word. That was mm. more than a, than a witness that was a roadmap. There are a lot of people suffering. Mm. All, of, all of us are suffering. And what you did, I, I'm going to play that for some folks. Mm. I'm going to watch it again, Bobby. <laughs> but I'm going to stop talking right now because I'm choking up thinking about it. Thank, th- thank you, Reese. I love you, Erica. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Faraji. I love you, Dr. Carr. Oh, no. Sorry. Go ahead, Erica. Your response. Your response. Oh, I, um, I, first of all, I think everybody knows, you know, a person with a library is always somebody who is going to be deep into my heart anyway. My late grandmother, um, is a, was a retired librarian and, um, really we could not walk into, and I praise and I thank God for that, that as a young child, I have memories of walking to my grandparents' house and there was a library about the wall. And so I always say that and brag on that about you, Dr. Carr or excuse me, Greg, because it is something to have a person, a human, but a brother who is literally a walking library, a national treasure. Mm -hmm. I would say, not just in our community, in that Howard University is so blessed to have him, but literally in our nation that the information that this audience gets is privy to Mm -hmm. every Thursday my God, there is no reason that we should not be engaging and stepping in our power. So I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, my brother. 
it was excellent that we were able to be in person and be in the studio and connect yeah. and laugh and talk and then text as well. Um, yes. But to be able to experience a great car who is a mind, you all have to join him on Saturdays on YouTube with Karen Hunter in class mm -hmm. with Car, um, so you can mm -hmm. get more of that. But we have to own what we are getting on this day, on every Thursday from 6 to 8, from the great mind of Greg Carr. I, I love mm. you. Love you. Always. Follow <laughs> your footsteps. It's you know a family reunion. <laughs> <laughs> Faraji, you stepped in to the I great... I say, look, look. The great Erica Savage Wilson shoes, so you get uh, a word to, you know, your predecessor. And hopefully she'll be back at some point, but Faraji, a couple words. Look, I just want to say, Sister Erica, first and foremost, um, it's been an honor and a privilege and a real pleasure to be on a panel with Dr. Carr and Reese. When they threw me in, I'm the new kid on the block. I saw people on YouTube and Facebook like, who the hell is he? Where's Eric? <laughs> Step crowd. Like, Step crowd. I was thinking to myself, oh boy. <laughs> 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 oh, God. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you, sir. But, you know what I mean? They have embraced me, and therefore I have learned about you because of the great knowledge and wisdom that you have always expounded being on this platform and on this panel. So I'm really just. You know, I'm just humbled because of who you are. But more importantly, I'm, I'm truly, truly touched, Sister Erica, by your story. Um, and, I, you know, I'm looking at the our watchers on YouTube, joining them in the chat. I mean, we got hearts going everywhere, people saying, and I just want to be a conduit, a vessel for you. They are saying they love you. I mean, you know, they love you. When I say they love you, I mean, the hearts are filling up. People are saying that Erica is my best friend. You know, this sister <laughs> oh! is always bringing it. They said your story. I want, I want to share this with you. I'm being, I'm being, I'm, I'm just, they're saying that your story. Look, Banana said no one can fill Erica's shoes. All right, Banana, there we go. Go ahead, keep it moving, <laughs> keep it moving. Um, and look, Kentia, nothing but hearts. I mean, hearts, 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 and everybody's saying, God bless you. Mm -hmm. But your testimony tonight, sis, your testimony is one that, that I truly, truly believe that we're all going to gain something from. I mean, that's, that's a powerful testimony. And, mm -hmm. you know, I loved how you framed it. Whether you are a believer in Jesus or not doesn't mean that you don't go through no trials and, tra mm -hmm. and challenges. And, and and that right there stuck for me and it resonated with me because, you know, so many of us, especially, you know, my wife and I, we have these conversations. She's like, I hate when people say black women are strong. She said, because I can't, she told me, she said, if I'm always strong, when can I break down? When can I be tired? When can I feel mm -hmm. like I need you to help me through the day and all of those things? So I'm starting to just, my appreciation for the struggle of black women is becoming deeper and deeper listening to you, listening to Reese and so many other powerful women that come on this panel because y'all tell a story that men, and I think Dr. Carr can attest to it, that men just need to listen to. Yes, sir. And mm. just to hear you say that you reached out to your partner and you got a 
you know, just for that support, but you got to... It's hard for you to carry yourself through a day. I mean, I'm just... Look, sis, look, whenever you ready, whenever you ready, you, you don't have to bump those two off. You could just be like, Faraji, I'm ready. I'd be like, yes, ma'am. I'm just... <laughs> Just backing off the chair. I'll be like, all right, yes, ma'am. It was nice knowing y'all. Thank you for your time. Oh, you're fancy now. You're not going anywhere. Erica, we just cannot say enough how much we love you. Uh, If you're out there, you heard Erica, she's writing USA Today, Blavity, The Griot, Essence Magazine, Ebony, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you are an editor, if you are a person who has the access, who heard Erica's story and you want more people to hear it, reach out to her. Her medium piece is called Things Not Seen. It is a must read. Her upcoming podcast is called The Reframed Brain. Erica, tell us how to get in contact. Oh, one more thing, you didn't ask me to do this, but if you want to pour into Erica, give her a love offering. It's cash app, dollar sign, Erica Savage Wilson. Okay, y'all getting all this free okay. testimony, pour into our good sis, Erica Savage Wilson, okay? I can't let that go without saying that, but Erica, please tell the audience, the family, how to get in contact with you, where to follow you, um, if they want to hear more from you and what you have coming up. Yes, thank you so much, Reese. And I got to say thank you to Reese. She kicked off a cash app like Avalanche back <laughs> I, earlier this year. And I was just like, Whoa. Was to get that so money. thank you. Let me tell you something. Do you understand who in this? Reese, she should be money. getting paid for all of the work that she does for the disinformation and making sure that people stay okay. off of Madam Vice President, our first <laughs> black, <laughs> there we black go. woman. Vice president, first woman, okay? She ought to be getting paid for that. So thank you so much, sis, because I'm not working nine months and, and I'm not I'm not able to go back in that capacity for a myriad of issues. Um, how you can get in touch with me and stay connected with me um, is at one Erica Savage. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm also on um, IG and Facebook. That way there's a Linktree app. It takes you so you'll be able to see the reframe brain, um, the page is not up yet, but it's already landed. I also just created a TikTok account um, so that I'm going to be releasing short form content that way so people mm. can understand more about the reframe brain and just understand how to engage people with unseen injuries. Because again, we are all globally connected um, by trauma and by this serious pandemic event we've all experienced. So a lot of the things that I'm experiencing or some of the things I'm experiencing we have all experienced it collectively as well. So um, check me out on TikTok. I've not done a video just yet, but just created that this week. And it's at the Reframe Brain. And then, as always, um, comments that you leave in social media. Um, if I have the ability to go through and respond, I will respond. But please um, see me there. And if you um, would love to engage with me in my writing. You can also go to that Linktree site, which is um, Linktree Erica Savage Wilson, and it's on my Twitter page, it's on my Instagram page, and for those of us that are still hanging out on Facebook, it's on Facebook as well. That way you'll be able to keep in touch with all things Erica Savage Wilson, and I am still making noise politically here and there. Um, I just released a newsletter, so um, when you go to Linktree, you can uh, get subscribed on there as well if you want to get some of my power talks that I release twice a month. Um, through that. Well, I, Erica, you got to stick around for the closing 
moment because you know it's been Gotta a while it. it's been a while so thank you so much for joining us <laughs> good sis. that's it for us tonight i want to thank my panel the normal the regular panel dr greg carr from the department of afro-american studies at howard university and radio um tv host faraji mohammed thank you for uh and erica Yes, We're right. taking it back, throwing it back with Erica. Right. We oh, cannot right. wait to see more from you and the reframed brain. Thank you so much for being here. Great job, Reese. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Excellent yeah. job, Reese. Is she? Love you, Army Ooh. family. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, look, black women, black women was blowing it out this week. <laughs> hey, Dr. Carr, I was saying the same thing. This is a black women show right here. I'm going to sit back and shut up. Yes, sir. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thank you. And if you haven't done it yet, download the Black Star Network on all of your devices. You can find the Black Star Network on iPhone, your Apple TV, all your devices. Y'all don't like you don't know how to use the Google Play Store and your Apple Store. If you would like to support us so we can continue bringing the stories that matter to us, you can donate through Cash App, Cash App, Roland Martin Unfiltered, PayPal um, slash RM Unfiltered, Venmo RM Unfiltered, Zell, Roland at RolandSMartin.com. I'm Reese Colbert. Ray Baker will be your host tomorrow. Have a good night. Holla! <laughs>
Sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.